Amen. What a privilege it is to join together and worship together and sing together. Amen. It's been a crazy week, hasn't it been? I mean, so much has happened since last Sunday uh, that we were together and there's been headlines and news and craziness and panic and, and the world looks different today. And it's so great, what a privilege that we can have some sense of sameness uh, because we have a God who is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow because we can rely on him and we're happy to be gathered here today. I have friend, pastor friends today whose churches are not having services and they're just uh, transmitting via uh, live streaming in Dallas and and even here in Mission uh, because they've made that decision and we are uh, transmitting right now uh, via Facebook Live and uh, for those people that cannot be here. One of the things a pastor friend noticed on Facebook um, this week was that uh, some folks uh, were criticizing the churches that are not having services today and they were saying that, you know, they were fearful and, and, and you know, cowardice and all this and then churches that were, other people were looking at churches like ours that we're still having services and they're accusing us of being careless or, or you know, being too tied to a building or, or, or things like that. And, and, and that pastor said, you know what, this is a time that we shouldn't be criticizing each other. Every church is making the decision that they think is best for their people and we respect that. And if some people are choosing to stay at home and, and that's what they think they should do, we respect them, we love them. And those of us that are coming together here, we're glad to be here, amen? And I'm a hugger and a kisser, but I'm gonna have to hold back. Uh, so I just kind of hug you and kiss you from a distance, but I'm glad to be here. You know, uh, one of the things that's happening with this whole thing is that uh, flights are getting really cheap, right? And, uh, and some young people are taking advantage of that. So they're going, they're traveling and, and a college student uh, was talking about going uh, to Canada and, and flying internationally. And she said, uh, if this whole thing is, is gonna get out of control, I might as well be having fun. And, uh, you know, and, and I thought about that because I, I, I'm not sure that that's the correct response, but, but I thought about this. The, the fact is that we don't always get to choose our circumstances, but we always get to choose our response to the circumstances. We don't always get to choose what happens around us, but, but we always get to choose our attitude about it. The people in Nehemiah's day had encountered God's word and and when they heard God's word, they, they were filled with sadness. They were filled with, with, with fear. Ezra had read the Torah, the, the, the law of the Lord, and, and it weighed heavy on them. There was remorse and, and there was regret in their hearts. There was sorrow in their hearts. So much so that Nehemiah had to say, wait, don't be sad. You need to be happy because the joy of the Lord is your strength. You can find that in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. We started a new series called Renewal last Sunday. It's still in the book of Nehemiah, but Nehemiah has this natural shift, and we're making the shift too. And, and it goes from rebuilding a wall to renewing a people. 
Pastor Chad uh, did a wonderful job last week of getting us started in that, in that new phase of the book of Nehemiah in this new series where, where we've gone from the rebuilding of the wall to the renewing of a people. And this renewal begins with an admonition and a promise of joy. The joy of the Lord is your strength. What does that mean? What does it mean? How do you claim that for yourself? That the joy of the Lord is your strength. How, how does that get unpacked? I, I believe that joy is connected to repentance. Now you might say, well, I don't really think those two words go together. But I do. Joy and repentance have something to do with each other. And as we continue to follow the story of God's people, we're going to see them experience joy and, and some sorrow. We're going to see them confessing and celebrating. We're going to see them repenting and renewing. And as we enter the story, I, I invite you to make their story your story. I invite you to, to step into their story do you want to experience joy? Do you want to, to know what it means for the joy of the Lord to be your strength? Do you, do you want to experience renewal in your life? Will you consider repentance today? Let, let's step into Jerusalem at the time of Nehemiah as Ezra has read the Torah and we pick up where Pastor Chad left off last Sunday in verse 13 of Nehemiah chapter 8. Uh, Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 13. And it reads like this. On the second day of the month, the heads of all the families, along with the priests and the Levites, gathered around Ezra, the teacher, to give attention to the words of the law. They found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded through Moses, that the Israelites were to live in temporary shelters during the festival of the seventh month, and that they should proclaim this word and spread it throughout their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out into the hill country and bring back branches from olive and wild olive trees and from myrtles, palms, and shade trees to make temporary shelters as it is written. So the people went out and brought back branches and built themselves temporary shelters on their own roofs in their courtyards, in the courts of the house of God, and in the square by the water gate, and the one by the gate of Ephraim. The whole company that had returned from exile built temporary shelters and lived in them. From the days of Joshua, son of Nun, until that day, the Israelites had not celebrated like this, and their joy was very great. Day after day, from the first day to the last, Ezra read from the book of the law of God. They celebrated the festival for seven days. And on the eighth day, in accordance with the regulation, there was an assembly. This is the second day in a row that the people of God are hearing the reading of God's word. Now remember that they had not experienced this probably in their entire lifetime. They had not been to a temple service where the Torah had been opened and someone had read from there. 
The first day that they heard it, it was so shocking. It hit them so hard that they were brokenhearted. They were very sad. But Nehemiah encouraged them, said, look, don't be sad. In fact, go out and celebrate. In fact, pick up extra food and take it to your neighbors. Remember, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And this is the second day. The first day was Sunday. The second day is Monday. They're reading God's word again. And now they're, they're uh, listening about this uh, feast of temporary shelters, the feast of tabernacles that is commanded in the law of Moses. And as they're listening to, to this feast of tabernacle uh, command that is supposed to happen in the seventh month of the year, they realize, wait, hold on, We're, this is the seventh month. And, uh, and they say, hey, why don't we do what it says? It says we should celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. Why don't we do that? This is a really novel idea. God's people hearing God's word and saying, hey, how about we try it? How about we try what, what God says? So that's the first thing we find in our story, that God's people tasted God's word with joy. God's people tasted God's word with joy. They were so moved by the reading of God's word that they decided to try it out. For, for years, they had failed to do so. For years, they had been taken into exile and they had not been able to keep this Feast of Tabernacles. And, 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 and so now they have returned and when they returned to Jerusalem, what they found was ruins and there was discouragement and there was the sense that maybe, maybe God has forgotten us. Maybe, maybe we don't have a future they were absent from, from God's word and there was no thought in their minds of a celebration. But now, now that, that the wall was rebuilt around them, they were looking around at the wall and they said, God sent Nehemiah to us and, and we're being restored. You know, maybe God hasn't forgotten us. Maybe God does keep his promise. And so as they're, as, they're, as they're looking around them and they're, they're being restored in their dignity, they're being restored in their confidence in God's word, they decided, you know, God's word means something. We ought to listen to it. We ought to try it. We ought to taste God's word. You can read about the Feast of Tabernacles in the book of Leviticus, chapter 23, verses 33 to 44. You can do that in your own time, but I'll give you the summary version. It's a seven-day festival where people were supposed to go out and get branches from palm trees and other leafy trees, and then they were supposed to make these temporary shelters in their backyard. And during seven days, they were supposed to hang out in those shelters. And, and they could see at night the stars and they could smell the freshly cut branches and the leaves and they could hear the crickets and, and they would share food around them. And, and as, they, as they were in their tents or in their temporary shelters, they could experience everything with their senses. This experience was to remind them that their ancestors journeyed in the wilderness for 40 years. That God's people for 40 years didn't have a city. That God's people for 40 years didn't have homes made of bricks. That God's people for 40 years didn't have a temple made with stones. They only had temporary shelters. They only had tents. And during those 40 years, they were able to rely on the faithfulness of God. That their confidence was not in 
mortar and brick, that their confidence was not in great stones of a building or in a wall of their city, but their confidence was in a God who led them with a cloud by day and a column of fire by night, who pitched his tent among them, who lived in their midst and walked with them and journeyed with them. That's what the Feast of Tabernacles was supposed to remind them as, as they spent seven days outdoors. That their confidence comes from the Lord. Modern day Jews still celebrate this. Uh, they, they call this festival Sukkot. And uh, it, my wife and I were able to attend one of these in Fort Worth some years ago. We went to the synagogue there in Fort Worth and, and they read from the law. Uh, from the scroll, they actually have a scroll that they open and they read in Hebrew. And then we went outside and there was a temporary shelter uh, 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 that was built there. And they had a table and there were hors d'oeuvres and they had halad. It's this really, uh, really nice bread. It makes me regret going gluten-free. Uh, and and uh, they dipped it in honey. And then they, they broke out the wine and passed the glasses around and there was laughter and celebration and, and, and there was this experience of, of being immersed in that story. And that's exactly what the people of Nehemiah's day did. They cut the branches, they built the shelters, they went out and hung out in them, they, they saw the stars, they heard the crickets, they smelled the flowers. They tasted the food. They were literally tasting God's word. And it brought joy to their hearts. And, and, and it brought a change of mind about God's word. That God's word is not some scroll that's supposed to be kept away until special occasions, that, that God's word is not some kind of arbitrary list of rules that, that God wants to impose on his people, but God's word is something that is to be experienced, to be lived out, to, to be literally tasted. I, I, I love the fact that our two ordinances as the people of God uh, are, are baptism and the Lord's Supper. And, and both of them require our sensory engagement Baptism is the full immersion of our bodies underwater. It is a reminder that, that the gospel is not something that we know or that we recite. The gospel is not some kind of, of set of rules of do's and don'ts, but the gospel is the immersion of our lives in the Word of God. And it changes you completely. And when we take the bread and, and we drink the cup and we actually chew on the bread and we actually swallow the juice, we, we're, we're, we're reminding ourselves that Jesus is something that is alive, that enters our lives and, and, and that is ingested into our spiritual, into our soul and, and it changes us from the inside out. You see, God's word is not a textbook, it is a taste book. Psalm 34, 8 says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Have you tasted? Have you tasted of God's word? Have you tasted of the Lord? Repentance is a change of mind about God's word. It is the, the realization that God's word is to be tasted and experienced and, and that we immerse ourselves in it. And when you do that, you will never be the same. 
That's exactly what happened to God's people. Let's follow the story in, in Nehemiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 3. It says, On the 24th day of the same month, the Israelites gathered together, fasting and wearing sackcloth and putting dust on their heads. Those of Israelite descent had separated themselves from all foreigners. They stood in their places and confessed their sins and the sins of their ancestors. They stood where they were and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day and spent another quarter in confession and in worshiping the Lord their God. So, so the next thing that the people did when they tasted God's word, the second thing they did is they confessed their sins with sorrow. God's people confess their sins with sorrow. They, they, their joy was turned to sorrow, their, their festivity of branches and food and bread and wine turned into sackcloth and, and dust on their heads. It was another physical demonstration of the condition of their heart. Now they felt this ruggedness of their clothing and they smelled the earthiness of the dust and the ashes which reminded them of their spiritual poverty. For a quarter of the day they listened to God's word. I'm thinking that's at least three hours. We're here for one hour. I preach for about 30 minutes and in about 10 minutes some of you will be looking at your watch. Can you imagine being there and listening to the reading of God's word for three hours, you cover a lot of ground that way. For three hours they heard about God's faithfulness. For three hours they heard about God's covenant. For three hours they read about God's love and, and acts in history. For three hours they, they read about uh, the holiness of God and, and the demand of God on his people in the covenant. And, and, and as they kept hearing God's word, it, it, it led them to confess to confess their sins. They confess their sins for three hours. For three hours. We had, in our Wednesday night class uh, this past Wednesday, uh, I led our group to do prayers of confession. And we went around and, and we confessed. We probably spent maybe at the most 10 minutes doing so. And when we got finished, someone said, I want to thank you all for doing that. that that's, I've never experienced this in a group that you were humble and honest enough to, to confess in a group your sins. And I told that person, I said, well, it, it was just the tip of the iceberg. If we confessed everything, we'd be here for a couple more hours. You know, can you imagine really confessing your sins for three hours? Being aware of every way in which you have betrayed God, in every way in which you have dishonored God, in every way in which you have disobeyed God. And not only did they confess their own sins, but, but they confessed the sins of their ancestors. That's really a foreign concept to us. How, when was the last time that you asked forgiveness for the sins of, of your parents or your grandparents or your great-grandparents? When was the last time that you asked forgiveness for the sins of your neighbor or your city or your community. That's really strange to us because we're so individualistic. We, we just think about ourselves and we say, you know, to each his own. That's kind of our, our Western individualistic mindset, but that's not the way it was with them. I, I wonder if sometimes we need to have a little more solidarity. You know, this coronavirus thing, you know, we, we, uh, 
in our family group text, we've, we've sent each other pictures of shelves in the, at the grocery store. And, and there was this time when my wife sent, there was no hand soap, no sanitizer. And, and I have two children, uh, they're, they're, they're here today who are in a nursing profession, Rachel and, and Stephen is in nursing school. And, and uh, Stephen said, you know, some people don't realize that to stop an epidemic, everybody needs to wash their hands. If you're hoarding all the soap in your house and other people can't wash their hands, you're still going to catch it, you know? We don't think in terms of community. We just think in terms of ourselves. Even HEB has to tweet and say, hey guys, don't stockpile. Get what you need and leave some for the other people. We, we just don't think in terms of, of community and solidarity. We think in terms of selfishness and ourselves and how can I protect myself? And we realize when you're talking about epidemic, you got to think about everybody. You got to think about other people. And look, I'm not a scientist, but toilet paper is not the cure for the coronavirus, guys. I'm just saying, just saying. So the people confess their sins and, and they confess the sins of their ancestors. It says that they confessed and they worship God. Confession and worship go together. You, you cannot encounter God's holy presence without being convicted of your sin. If you're not convicted of sin in worship, maybe you're not encountering a holy God. The prophet Isaiah had a vision of the Lord high and lifted up and, and the train of his robe filled the temple. He, he saw the glory of the Lord and there were six winged creatures that were flying and they were saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God. The whole earth is full of his glory. When Isaiah saw the glory of God in the temple, when, when he saw the presence of God, when he encountered the holiness of God, what was his response? Isaiah says, woe to me, I cried, I'm ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. See, Isaiah in God's presence became aware of his own sinfulness and the sinfulness of the people around him and he confessed it. He confessed it. When was the last time that you felt so convicted of your sin that you couldn't help but confess it? When was the last time that you had a worship experience that when you realized the holiness of God, it, it drove you to your knees to confess your sin? Paul Tripp said this week, grief over sin is the seedbed of confession and confession is the seed which, when watered by grace, grows into repentance. I love that. Grief is the seedbed of confession. Some people just want to stay in grief. The grief has a role, but it's not for you to stay there. Grief is the seedbed of confession. And confession is the seed when watered by grace leads to repentance. Worship should not always make us feel good. Some people think that Worship is about making me feel good, about going to church, and when I leave, I feel good. Worship shouldn't always make us feel good. God's word shouldn't always make us feel comfortable. Unless you're perfect, unless you're 
as holy as God, sometimes when you hear God's word, it ought to make you uncomfortable. It ought to make you wiggle in your seat. When you realize what God is, who God is, and what he expects of us. When King David had sinned, had committed adultery and, and murder, and he finally came to terms with, with his awful sin, he was crushed. He was broken. He was joyless. And he prays in Psalm 51.8, he says, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. And then verse 12 says, restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. See, you can't have joy unless you're willing to come to terms with your sin. Repentance is a change of attitude about your sin. Instead of being okay with your sin, you, you become sorrowful about it. Instead of saying, well, at least I'm not like so-and-so. Or, you know, everybody sins. We're all sinners, aren't we? Instead of dismissing your sin lightly, you, you get brokenhearted and, and you confess it before God. After God's people spent three hours confessing their sins, they, 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 they got everything out. Can you imagine the relief of that? Can you imagine the freedom of, of bringing out everything in your heart that is wrong, just bringing it and dumping it before God? Say, there it is. I brought it into the light. And you know what it costs? You know what it costs? When, when you put all your sin at, at God's feet, it brings about joy. They broke out in praise. Look at uh, Nehemiah chapter 9 uh, at the latter part of verse 5, the worship leaders told the people, Stand up and praise the Lord your God who is from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name and may it be exalted above all blessing and praise. You alone are the Lord. You made the heavens, even the highest heavens, and all the starry hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. You give life to everything, and the multitudes of heaven worship you. And starting with creation, they began to tell the story of God. That's the third thing that God's people do. They told God's story with gratitude. They told about God's call to Abram. You are the Lord God who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and named him Abraham. And you made a covenant with him. You told him that, that you would give him children and that his descendants would become a nation and that you would bless his family, his descendants, and that you would give him a promised land. And, 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 you, began, and you gave him a child and you gave him... a, a, a a numerous family and that family ended up in Egypt and, and when they were in slavery in Egypt when they were oppressed in Egypt you heard their cry and you came to their rescue and with a mighty hand you delivered them from the hand of Pharaoh you pulled them out of slavery and you led them on a journey to the promised land and when they came to, to the Red Sea and they had nowhere to go and the Egyptian army was chasing them you opened the Red Sea and they were able to walk on dry ground. And when they got to the other side, 
and Pharaoh's army was still after them. You closed the sea, and the Egyptian army perished in the middle of the sea. And you continued to provide your presence in the desert. You gave them bread from heaven. You gave them water from a rock. They disobeyed you. They lacked in faith, but you continued to be faithful to them. You came to them in Mount Sinai, and you gave Moses your covenant. And while you were with Moses in his glory, the people of God were building a golden calf that were committing idolatry, that were being unfaithful to you. And when Moses came down, he interceded for his people. And in your mercy, you forgave your people and you did not destroy them. You stayed with them and you continued to walk with them in the wilderness. You protected them and, and they arrived at the promised land. And when they got to the promised land, you raised up a new leader. You raised up a new generation. Joshua was able to walk your people and they were able to conquer Jericho. You make the walls come down and they conquer the people and they were victorious and they occupied the land just like you said they would. You made them prosperous and you gave them peace and yet they followed after other gods. They disobeyed you. They turned their backs on you. They were a stiff-necked people and you forgave them time and time again. You sent your prophets to them to warn them about the disadvantages and the punishment of disobeying you and they killed your prophets and after you got tired of sending prophets to them you send an army a foreign army to lead them away from the promised land and to live in exile to purify them but you did not forsake them you brought them back from exile you brought Nehemiah to build a wall, to restore and renew a people, to renew a covenant. God, you have been faithful. We have been unfaithful. You've never failed us. We have failed you, but you are good. And we come to verse 31 of Nehemiah chapter 9, and it reads like this. Verse 31 says, but in your great mercy, you did not put an end to them or abandon them, for you are a gracious and merciful God. That's our God. And after Nehemiah, when God tried over and over again to lead his people, he said, look, they can't help themselves. They can't pull themselves up by their own bootstraps. I'm gonna go down there. And he came in the form of a baby and he was born in Bethlehem, the God-man. He was ignored by some. He was dismissed by the religious people. He walked among us. He, he healed the sick. He cast out demons from those who were possessed. He, he fed the hungry. He raised the dead from the tomb. He, he calmed the waters. He showed that he was from God. People believed in him. Others rejected him. And eventually it led him to the cross. He died the death of a criminal on the cross. He was crushed for our sins. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was forsaken and forgotten, a man of sorrows, completely rejected. He was buried in a cold tomb. And the third day, he rose from the dead and he lives forevermore. And he sits at the right hand of the Father and, and he intercedes for us. He reigns. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. 
And it's not just a story I've heard. It is a gospel that has transformed me. Because one day, I was a sinner. One day, I was walking away from God. One day, I was lost, and he found me. And he rescued me. He forgave me. I remember that day. I remember the day when Jesus forgave my sins. I remember the day when he made me a new person. And, and I've been walking with him. And I've not always been faithful. I've often tripped. And I've often fallen. But he has always picked me up. He's always forgiven me. He is still with me today. And it doesn't matter if it's SARS or Ebola. If it's Y2K or 9-11. If it's coronavirus. If the world ends to tomorrow or doesn't end tomorrow, my God is faithful to fulfill his promises to the end. <laughs> Repentance is a change of direction toward God. That's what the people did. Verse 38 of chapter 9. In view of all this, We are making a binding agreement, putting it in writing, and our leaders, our Levites, and our priests are affixing their seals to it. You see, after, after they confessed and after they told the story of God, they said, look, we really need to renew our covenant. It, it, repentance is not just grief. Repentance doesn't leave you in sorrow. Repentance leads you in sorrow about where you were heading so that you can turn your direction and head towards the God who gives joy. The one who is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Repentance turns you from the sorrow of sin to the joy of the Lord. That's how the people of God arrived there in their renewal. The renewal of God's people came through tasting God's word, confessing their sins, and telling God's story. And the byproduct was joy. Sometimes joy is preceded by sadness, by grief. Joy is not a cheap thrill. It is not the superficial happiness that the world offers. Joy is not a get happy fast proposition. Joy is the result of acknowledging how great and how big and how faithful and how holy our God is. Confessing our sinfulness in repentance and then receiving his forgiveness and his joy. We change our mind about God's word. We change our attitude about our sin. And we change our direction toward God. That's repentance. I'm going to ask the band to step up here. And while they do, I'm going to ask you to stand. I want to invite you to do something we don't do very often in Baptist churches, but, but I would like us to do it today. I'd like to lead us in a prayer confession. And as I pray that prayer confession, it's a corporate prayer, I, I would like to invite you to, when I pause, to say, Lord, forgive us. Let's pray. God, today we are reminded by your word of, of your greatness, of your faithfulness, of your holiness, of your power. We confess today, Lord, that sometimes we, we've not taken you seriously 
Sometimes you've not been our Lord. Lord, forgive us. Father, today we are reminded that you have called us to love you with all our heart and, and with all our mind and with all our soul and with all our strength. And yet sometimes we confess we have loved ourselves more than we love you. Sometimes we have loved things, material possessions and careers and security and comfort more than we love you. Lord, forgive our sins. Father, you've, you've asked us to love our neighbor as ourselves and, and we confess today that sometimes instead of loving, we've hated. Instead of accepting, we've, we've rejected. Instead of extending a hand of help, we've, we've been judgmental and critical and we've been stiff-armed and we've not treated our neighbor with love. Lord, forgive us. Father, you, you remind us today that, that you are holy and pure and that you require holiness from us. And we confess that sometimes we've engaged our senses in things that are impure. Our eyes, our ears, and our mouths, instead of tasting God's word, have, have gone after the sensuality of this generation and we've become impure. Lord, forgive us. God, you've given us life. You, you've said that, that you've made us in your likeness and image and yet, Lord, we've been guilty of belittling life. We, we don't care for the baby in the womb. We, we've said that babies are a constitutional choice instead of a life that was given by you from conception and, 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 and around us babies who are voiceless and defenseless are, are aborted on demand Lord forgive us Father you've told us to be a generous people to give like we have been given that freely we have received and freely we should give and yet we've hoarded we've been selfish and materialistic we've held on to things that don't last instead of holding on to you Lord forgive us Father time and time again we have gone our own way we all like sheep have gone astray but you laid our sin on him and he carried our sin and today we say Lord forgive us and we receive your forgiveness the perfect provision for our forgiveness was made at the cross and, and you say that if we confess our sins you are faithful to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness So cleanse us today, Lord, from every sin, from every failure, individually, as a church, as a community, as a nation. We want to turn toward you. We receive the forgiveness. We ask to replace our grief and our brokenness with the joy of the Lord. 
may it be our strength today. I'm going to ask pastors and deacons to be up here and we're going to spend some time in prayer as we sing. Some of you may want to come and kneel down and pray prayers of repentance, confession. Some of you may want somebody to pray over you. Maybe you're sick or you know someone who's sick want to pray for healing. Maybe there's a financial situation in your life. We'd love to pray for you. Maybe you want to repent and give your life to Jesus as Savior and Lord. This is the time to do it. Maybe you already have chosen the five people for whom you're going to pray. Who's your five? Five who are close to you, far away from God. This is the time to pray for them. Today has been declared a national day of prayer regarding this uh, epidemic or pandemic. So let's pray for, for those who are sick. Let's pray for nurses and doctors. Let's pray for researchers and for a vaccine. Let's pray for control of this. You come, you kneel down. Or you can pray with one of us. If you don't want to touch us or get close to us, then just pray where you are. But pray. Some will sing, some will pray. Don't leave this place until there's been repentance in your life.